Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 25. I'll read through verse 32, and if you're able, would you stand please as God's Word comes among us. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing, rather let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. You may be seated. Well, the scientists have been telling us for several years now that there, there are elements in created order that are smaller than atoms. Uh, those subatomic somethings, those elements, are called particles. But as one uh, physicist put it, those particles are so small and so tiny that scientists are reluctant to even talk about them as particles as if they are things that exist in and of themselves as self-contained entities. In fact, one physicist said that really those subatomic particles only exist in relationships. They really have no life other than the way they relate to one another. And it's, it's fascinating when you stop and step back that the entire cosmos is interrelated. The entire creation of God depends on other parts of creation so that God made that world just that way. And that caused a theologian, Larry Rasmussen, to say, all createds are relateds. Everything in creation is related. All createds are relateds. And that's true in the church, too that we all have an existence only in the sense that we have a relationship with Christ and with one another, that we exist only in relationship. The Apostle Paul said in our scripture uh, that we are members of one another. All, relate, all createds are relateds uh, in the truest sense of that word. And as you do a, a quick review of the scripture that I just read a few moments ago, you'll see that the Apostle Paul was getting at something very practical about this and some straining of relationships among the Christians at Ephesus because he talks about relationships, putting away falsehood, speaking the truth, being angry but not sinning, not letting the sun go down on, uh, on the anger, not stealing, not speaking evil of one another. Uh, forgiving one another, being tender-hearted toward one another. But burrowed down deep toward the end of that scripture is what I think is the key, verse 30, which we will be keying off of this morning. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God 
with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. I'm not the only Bible student who believes that this verse is the key to that entire passage, that it's not just another list of things we need to remember about relationships, but indeed it's the key, and that when we grieve the Holy Spirit, we open the door to falsehood and cruel speech and unkindness and unforgiving spirit and all those other things. Let me say it to you in a simpler fashion. Cultivating a relationship with the Holy Spirit allows us to automatically cultivate relationships with one another. Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, even as he says that we are to not grieve one another by fractured relationships. Cultivating a relationship with the Holy Spirit is the best way to cultivate effective relationships with one another. And flipping that around, when we fail to cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit, we open the door to anxiety, to chaos, to hateful speech, and to divisive behavior. When we fail to allow the Holy Spirit to do His work within us, we open the door to all kinds of mischief and all kinds of destructive sorts of things. So the key to this scripture is to pay attention to our relationship with the Holy Spirit. I'm always amazed at how uh, the Apostle Paul wrote these words uh, in the first century and that they're so, t- they're so timely, they're so up-to-date, they're so fresh. It's pretty obvious to me that Paul is writing to a group of believers who had a flood of anxiety overwhelm them. And in their anxiety, they have not reacted appropriately. In their anxiety, they have not behaved and made choices that are the best choices. I mean, that's pretty obvious. You know, it's pretty well known, a physiological fact that's beyond dispute is that when the human body, when the human person is attacked uh, or experiences danger or threat, adrenaline pumps into our body. That's just the, the marvelous way God made us, that when we are attacked, when we are experiencing danger or threat, real or perceived, adrenaline pumps into our body. Now, that's good because that's instinctual and that is that fight or flight that the body is preparing for. But there's a problem that sometimes when that adrenaline pumps into our bodies, we choose anxiety over trusting the Holy Spirit's leadership. That sometimes when that adrenaline pumps into our bodies, we make, to use a non-theological term, goofy choices. We make really bad choices. When that adrenaline pumps in, we, we don't always choose correctly. Peter Steinke has done a lot of writing on congregational health, and he talks about what happens when anxiety uh, comes into a congregation. And by the way, this applies to any group. It can apply to a, a nation. It can apply to a, a biological or nuclear family. It can apply to your workplace. That when anxiety comes in and is given place, and in an inordinate place, a, a larger-than-needed space, Steinke says these things happen. And 
on the anniversary of Michael Brown's shooting, you might reflect on the past year and some of those extreme responses from all sides uh, in, in the wake of what happened in Ferguson last year, but also apply it to our congregation, apply it to your home, apply it to your workplace. Steinke says one of the things that happens when anxiety comes is that uh, anxiety decreases our capacity to learn. Instead of remaining teachable and asking, what can I learn from this tension or this experience, uh, we lose our capacity uh, to be students. He says, secondly, that anxiety replaces curiosity with a demand for certainty. We're not interested in learning more. We're, we're, we're turning into cement about what we are uh, certain about. Number three, it cements our position against another person. We dig in. Uh, we refuse to think about the other person having a, a kernel of truth, and it, we cement our position. And number four, anxiety simplifies our thinking into either or or yes, no, as if we have to choose between uh, supporting law enforcement or saying that black lives matter or all lives matter, when both of those things are true, that we support law enforcement and all lives matter. Or you can choose another issue, a theological issue, a, a political issue, simplified thinking that does either or or yes, no. And then number five, and Steinke lists others that I could give you, but uh, anxiety arouses a sense of helplessness and despair to the point that we make bad choices. We grab at any idol or any uh, half-truth or any thing that will get us out of that particular situation without really dealing with root causes. And so there's a lot to learn about how anxiety can flood into a congregation or a group's life and allow them to start making poor choices. Now, while that's on the screen, I want you to think with me about what you know about the Holy Spirit. Even if you're new to church, even if you don't consider yourself a Bible student, uh, you've picked up enough all through the years, somehow or other, uh, through the atmosphere, to know a little something about God's Holy Spirit to know that as the Holy Spirit would help us deal with anxiety in a completely different way. Think about the way the Holy Spirit gives us comfort when we're frightened. Think about the way the Holy Spirit gives us courage when we feel threatened and when that adrenaline pumps. Think about the ways that the Holy Spirit allows us to choose a different reality from these kinds of choices, because cultivating a relationship with the Holy Spirit is the best way to cultivate a relationship with one another. It's just the simple truth that Paul wants us to understand. And so again, I repeat what he says in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Grieving the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? It means to cause pain, to cause distress or sorrow or sadness. It means to wound or offend, to wear out or oppress. Do not wear out or oppress the Holy Spirit. Do not wound or offend the Holy Spirit. Do not make those kinds of choices that cause grief to God's indwelling Holy Spirit. 
This word grieve is the word that was used in Matthew 26 as Jesus begins his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the scripture says that he was grieved in his heart at the horrendous choices he was facing. That's that same word. Let me give you an example. Let me, let me call to your mind a, a way of thinking about this. Have you ever been in someone else's home? Maybe as a dinner guest, maybe for a reception, or maybe as an overnight guest, and something just seems off. You don't feel really welcome. All the words are there. Welcome. We're glad you're here. You don't want any seconds for the meal, do you? All the words are there. But there's this sense that this spirit of rejection is there, that you're not really welcome. There's this invisible something that makes you feel uncomfortable that you're not really a welcome guest. You ever had that experience? It's pretty uncomfortable. It's pretty miserable. On the other hand, there are those experiences where not just in words but in body language, every conceivable way is communicated to you to help you understand, I am so happy you're here. I am so grateful that you're in my home. See, the same thing's true of God's Holy Spirit. We can say all the right religious words, all the spiritual things, all the Bible words, and yet God's Spirit does not feel welcome in our lives because we choose a way of anxiety or responses to anxiety in a way that are very destructive. Uh, The shepherd of Hermas was a writer in the second century of the Christian era. The shepherd of Hermas uh, wrote one time, the Holy Spirit is very sensitive to overcrowding. I like that. The Holy Spirit's very sensitive to overcrowding. If it's crowded in there, if there's a lot of gunk, that's another theological word, gunk. If there's a lot of junk and crud, a lot of hatefulness, a lot of non-biblical responses to anxiety, if it's crowded in there, the Holy Spirit's very timid, very, very sensitive to overcrowding. So again, our relationship cultivated in the Holy Spirit affects our relationships with other people. And here's a great quote by uh, Eugene Peterson. The Holy Spirit is above all courteous. There's no room for coercion, no manipulation, no forcing. The Holy Spirit treats us with dignity, respects our freedom. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence, and what He empowers in us is a life of resurrection. That's what Paul is trying to say. What the Holy Spirit reproduces in us, what the Holy Spirit replicates in us, is a life of resurrection. That we are to be living in a resurrection way, not in those old ways, those old responses to anxiety and to threat and to danger. Not the way the world does, 
but the new way, the Jesus way. We are people of the Holy Spirit. We are people of the resurrection. And it's so interesting that right before Paul says this about do not grieve the Holy Spirit, in verse 29 he says, let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but speak only that which builds up and only that which gives grace to the hearer. And then he immediately says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You hear what he's saying? He's saying we're people of the Holy Spirit. We don't do hateful speech. We're people of the resurrection. We're people of the Holy Spirit. We don't do anonymous letters. We're people of the Holy Spirit. We don't do divisive actions. We're people of of the resurrection. We don't do those things that the world does in response to anxiety and struggle. We are people of Jesus, people of the resurrection, people of the Holy Spirit. We do things God's way. It might help us, since we're focused in verse 30 on the Holy Spirit, to remember how the Holy Spirit works in our salvation. There are historically uh, understood to be three phases to our Christian salvation. If you're a Methodist or you have Methodist background, you know this really, really well because uh, John Wesley really uh, helped clarify these. Uh, These are oversimplifications, but there are ways to remember the facets of our salvation. And I want you to think about the Holy Spirit's role in each of these facets of salvation. Justification is that moment we come into faith, that beginning of faith when we are pronounced not guilty because of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made for us. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us of sin, who leads us to repent. The Holy Spirit is the one that births us into faith. And to receive Christ is to literally receive the Spirit of Jesus Christ into our lives. That's the beginning of salvation. Sanctification is the ongoing process from the moment of salvation until the day the Lord takes us home. The Holy Spirit helps us by pruning us, by purifying us and cleansing us. The Holy Spirit convicts us and guides us and comforts us. The Holy Spirit gives us new want-tos, like Brooke talked with the children about, Uh, living within us to give us new desires, to have power on the inside, to become somebody we could not be on our own. That's sanctification. And then there's glorification. And we don't often think about the Holy Spirit's role in glorification. By the way, before I leave that, uh, to help you remember this, someone has said that justification is God removing the penalty of sin Sanctification is God removing the power of sin. And glorification is God removing the presence of sin. When we finally go to heaven, we get to be with the Lord and we're out of the presence of sin. But look how the Holy Spirit helps us in glorification, that that fullness of salvation when we receive a new body and we are in eternity with God and no longer, longer susceptible to sin and disease and failure. Look at the second part of verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is the one who hand delivers us into God's eternal presence. The word seal was a signet ring or a stamp that marked a document as legitimate and genuine and that sealed that document for safe delivery to its appropriate destination. So when Doyle Sager, as an eight-year-old, 
came to faith in Jesus Christ. He was sealed by the Holy Spirit with that stamp for security, preservation, and safe delivery. Sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Now, the word redemption has become a religious word, but in Paul's day, it was a word about slaves who've been liberated. This is the mark, the stamp, the seal until the day of emancipation, until the day of being set free, until the day of being released and our full purchase being enjoyed and experienced. This summer I read Uncle Tom's Cabin, the classic, by Harriet Beecher Stowe, and what a powerful novel, as Uncle Tom several times comes oh so close to being liberated and emancipated, purchased out of slavery, how he longed for that, he hungered for it so much he could taste it, to be set free. And so Paul says, the Holy Spirit is the one who seals us and marks us for safe delivery until that day of emancipation, until that day of liberation when we are brought into the fullness as daughters and sons of God into full liberty. This is the Holy Spirit within us. Don't you think a Holy Spirit who's so busy helping us with every facet of our salvation, don't you think that Holy Spirit Spirit deserves some attention as we cultivate that relationship with the Holy Spirit? We also cultivate our relationship with one another and we grow to become everything God wanted us to be. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit. Lead us into a deeper relationship of cultivating this relationship and being sensitive to your eternal presence. Guide us in time of commitment and decision. Through Christ our Lord, amen.